Good morning, church family. And if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, uh, my name's Randy, and I'm delighted to get to worship with you all here today. And welcome to Windsor Road. So a couple weeks ago, I was uh, with a team that went to Haiti, and it was a teaching, mentoring week. And each evening we went to worship services. And one evening, our team of eight or nine split up into two groups. And so I went with a one group to, to a community near the town in Haiti called Hinch. And Pastor Philip uh, leads a church out in that village area. And so we were driving out and there was not the kind of light pollution that we have here in uh, our part of the world. And so you could see the Milky Way. And it was just absolutely beautiful. The moon seemed larger and brighter. And, um, but because it was so dark outside, I really wasn't aware that we had finally arrived at the church because when our van pulled up, I looked out the window and I, I mean, it was just dark. And so we got out of the van and had a flashlight to walk through the trail to get into this little church house, dirt floor, benches. And we met Pastor Philip. And the house lights consisted of two flashlights that were hung. That's it. So it was a little dim. Um, and... Pastor Philip took what looked like a karaoke microphone and he started singing in Creole. And he had for his band one drummer. And it was the drummer and it was Pastor Philip. And there was just our group. And I thought, oh, well, it's gonna be a it's gonna be us. But but us and God is everything. So we were singing, Pastor Philip was leading, the drummer was uh, drumming away, and about four or five songs into this, I turned around because I was on the front row with one of our elders, Carl Sather. I turned around after about the fourth song. The place is packed! It's just packed. I don't know if the drum was like a drum call, but I mean... It was packed, and people were singing, and, and now standing, and, and praising, and Creole. And, and, and um, I didn't really know what I was saying, but I was trying anyway. And we had an interpreter with us, Moise, who is Haitian, but pastors the church in the Dominican. He knows English. He knows Spanish, he knows Creole, he knows French. Very fluent. I see Moise walk up to the stage where Pastor Philip was, and I just thought, oh, well, that's nice. Pastor Philip is going to tell Moise a little bit about uh, you know, the church and then, and then find out a little bit of information from Moise about us, and we're just going to be given hospitality, and that's nice of the pastor to remember us in that way, so on and so forth. All this is going on while the singing's taking place. 
Moise heads back to where I'm standing and singing, and I'm waiting for him to say, you know, he's just going to introduce, we're going to talk about the group and what you're doing here this week, and that's just what's going on in my mind. When Moise leans over and says to me, you're on in two minutes. I said, I said very, in a very sophisticated tone, huh? <laughs> You're on in two minutes. He wants you to preach. Now? Now. Uh, he says, just say something. He says, a psalm. I said, well, is it, what about a parable? Whatever. <laughs> so, and I have to confess this, if you didn't bring your Bible today, no worries. Uh, we have Bibles with you, but I didn't bring my Bible to me that night, I, with me that night. Uh, Carl Sather, one of our elders, I said, can I use your Bible? <laughs> Does it have a New Testament in it? I need, I need the Gospel of Luke. I need, I need a parable. Find me the parable. And so I took Carl Sather's Bible, and I turned to the parable of the uh, persistent widow and the unjust judge. This unjust judge who would not give justice to this uh, poor widow against her adversaries, but she just would not give up. She just kept hounding this unjust judge, give me justice against my adversary, give me justice against my adversary. And then I kind of uh, was preaching and Moise was interpreting and I would talk and then he would talk and it was kind of good because I could think a little bit about what I was going to say, you know, and, and hopefully be coherent. I need one of, I need an interpreter like that at home. I think I would think before I would speak a little better, but that's a different sermon. Uh, so I'm, and then I finally give, gave my Bible to Carl Sather, and I, he was a great assistant. He gave me his jacket, and I put it over my head like a scarf, and I was uh, mimicking this poor widow who, and I kept going down the aisle and through the little, give me justice against my adversary, give me, and what was funny was that Moise, who is this pretty reserved uh, Haitian pastor, you know, who's fluent in four languages, he was following me, mimicking me too. And it was really sweet. Now, folks, listen, um, the Lord gives me about one really good sermon per year. And I've spent it in Haiti. So anyway, but it was, it was, you never know what's going to happen when you walk into a church service, right? And that leads me to our text today in Acts chapter 13. Why don't you turn there? After services, Moise came up to me, and I was more impressed with myself than Moise was because my ego has never needed steroids, I can tell you that. Moise said to me, listen, if you can't preach on a moment's notice, what good are you as a pastor? I didn't have a witty comeback for him. I was like, oh, okay. But these verses that we're going to look at today, 
the apostle Paul is asked to preach on a moment's notice. In Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul and Barnabas are in a synagogue service. And they are just beginning uh, what church historians call his first missionary journey. And they've been sent out from the home church, Antioch of Syria. And here they are in another town called Antioch. I'll explain a little later on that. And the Apostle Paul shares the gospel message. And I want us to read for our scripture reading Acts chapter 13, verses 26 to 33, and then verses 38 and 39. It's a portion of his message. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is God's word. Now, that's a portion of the first recorded sermon from the Apostle Paul. It's a story sermon. In fact, these verses, chapter 13, are a story within a story. There's an outer story and there's an inner story. The outer story is about Paul and Barnabas and their lives and where they're going and what they're doing and saying. The inner story is the story about Jesus and who he is. And the fact that the inner story is propelling the outer story. And it's really important that I preface uh, what we're going to learn with these comments, because everybody in this room, you may not even be a Christian, but everybody in this room is living their life according to a story. You're in a story. And, and, and by story, I don't mean fiction. 
I mean life story. And here in these verses, the story of Jesus is driving and shaping the story of Paul and Barnabas. And we live by our stories. And we give our lives to a story. If you saw the movie Black Panther, you'll know that in the opening uh, lines, Papa, tell me a story. About what? The story of of home. All of us are longing for that grand story of home, of who we are and where we belong, because stories are powerful. Stories guide our lives. And, um, and there are a lot of pseudo-stories out there. And let me just tell you some of them. Uh, there's the story of individualism. It's rampant in our country. That story's plot is, I am the center of the universe. Then there's the story of consumerism. And that story says that you know, I am what I own. And then there's the story of tribalism. That all that matters is what my particular group thinks. And then there's the story of gorgeousism. <laughs> I am my outer appearance. And to add to those would even be the story of power, which is to say it's a story uh, of control for the glory of, and you fill in the blank. So all of these different stories, I'm, I'm talking about story as the controlling narrative of your life and my life. Now, good stories, the best stories, effective stories, always answer four questions. Question number one, how did we get here? Question number two, what went wrong? Question number three, what's the fix? Question number four, how will this end? Four questions to every effective story. And that preface leads me to this big idea which we're going to see unfold in Acts chapter 13 and it's this when the story of Jesus takes over the story of your life then your life will be free forgiven and full of joy it will that's God's promise when you let the story of Jesus when you let his life swallow up your life when your life is in his life, then your life will be free, forgiven, and full of joy. And not just in this life, but in the life to come. That's what these verses are about. So let's just walk through Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 13, where we see the Apostle Paul and his companions. They, so they've left Antioch of Syria... And they've sailed to this island called Cyprus. And they've been preaching the word throughout Cyprus. And specifically in Acts 13, 1 through 12, the gospel goes to a Roman governor of Cyprus named Sergius Paulus. And he comes to the Lord. And then they leave Cyprus and they go to uh, Perga in Pamphylia which is in modern-day Turkey, verse 13. But then abruptly, do you notice this? 
The last part of verse 13, it says, And John, that's John Mark, not the apostle John, uh, but a person named John, his full name was John Mark. He uh, Abruptly, uh, Luke just says he left them and returned to Jerusalem. So without warning, we just find out that one of their, and John Mark was kind of like an assistant. He was just kind of whatever they needed to do, uh, they needed him to do. Paul and Barnabas, uh, John Mark uh, was willing to do that. But abruptly, uh, Luke says, John Mark left and returned to Jerusalem. And that's all that's said. And we don't know really why, but we're going to find out in Acts chapter 15, some Sunday in the future. So Paul and Barnabas arrive in Perga, and when they got to Perga, they took a Roman road. Let's get the map up there. Uh, that, that road is uh, the road that the apostle Paul and Barnabas would have taken. It was called the Via Sebasta. It was called the Imperial Road. And they walked 120 miles uphill, 35, so they went from the coast to 3,500 feet elevation until uh, they went to a region called Pisidia, Pisidia, and in that region called Pisidia, there was a city called Antioch, Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas get into town, and it's a town of, of several thousand. Um, there's been a Jewish presence there for 200 years. Uh, Antioch of Pisidia uh, was a colony of the Roman Empire, um, meaning it was referred to as uh, Little Rome, uh, Little Rome. Now, this is really interesting, especially if you like how literature is written. So you have in Acts chapter 13, Paul in Little Rome, and then in Acts 28, a bookend called Big Rome, when Paul actually went to the capital. So Paul's missionary uh, adventures uh, began in Little Rome and then concluded in big Rome. And I think that's intentional. Luke was brilliant as he was writing this chronicle of the early church. And so uh, they get into little Rome and, and it's a colony, meaning Augustus Caesar has located military veterans to this town because he did not want them uh, loitering the, around the capital city. Uh, he wants the empire to be uh, 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 spread out. And so he gives these veterans citizenship and he gives them land and he places them in towns like Philippi or Corinth and here Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia. Now let's take a look at this map. Because this map shows us about his first missionary journey. We talked about him in Antioch. And then he went to Cyprus. And then he goes to what is now modern day Turkey. Perga. And then you see at the top of the screen. Pisidian Antioch. Let's look at the next screen. Uh, it's uh, kind of a satellite uh, view of that. Um, you say, wow, it's confusing. Those two names, Antioch. Well, I mean. I understand that, but how many Springfields are in the United States, right? Springfield, Illinois, Springfield, Missouri, Springfield, Ohio. So uh, that was kind of the way it was then. But that doesn't really answer the question why Paul goes to Antioch. Why does he go to Antioch? Why there? I mean, he's got that whole uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Why does he go there? And this is what I, what I want to talk to you about regarding Sergius Paulus. Likely, he went there because Sergius Paulus 
said, you know, Jesus has made such a difference in my life. His hometown was in Antioch of Pisidia. And so Sergius Paulus is going, I know some people back home who need to hear the good news that you have to share. Let me, let me send you with some papers so you can get safe passage. And please share the gospel. And so Paul goes. And uh, you can actually go to Antioch of Pisidia um, if you travel to Turkey today. I think we've got a few pictures here uh, that I wanted to, you to see. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. There were lakes around this city. And at the bottom of the screen, you see an aquifer an ancient aquifer and uh, that, that channeled the water into the town. And uh, then there's like this main street. Let's take a look at that. That's there. I mean, that's where the Apostle Paul walked. And you can go there today and see uh, the ruins there. And because Augustus sent, you know, his veterans there to uh, live their lives and all, well, they built a temple to him because uh because of Caesar worship in the first century. And that inscription is a piece of evidence that tells us that Sergius Paulus's hometown was in the first century city of Antioch of Pisidia. It's just an inscription that has the Sergius Paulus name on there in Latin. And we find out... Uh, extra-biblical history that Sergius Paulus later served as a senator in the Roman Empire. So here, Paul has gone to his hometown to share the gospel because he thought that's where people would be open to the gospel. Now, I want you to let that be a lesson for us. Who do you think in your life right now might be willing to hear good news about Christ. Who might be interested? Sometimes we're afraid of sharing Christ with anyone because we think we have to go to the hardest person. And therefore, we think everybody we go to is the hardest person. And that's not always true. I mean, most of us are here today. Why? Well, because someone invited us. Those of us who are believers today are believers because we saw the life of Christ's story in their story. And it was a story that was full of joy and freedom and forgiveness. And you said, I want that. I want that. So who in your life right now might be open to hearing good news about Jesus? Not everybody can go to the mission field. For most of us, the mission field is next door. Across the street. So I want you to be praying for that person. And be praying for an opportunity to invite that person to our Easter services. 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on April the 1st, Easter services. Well, Paul and Barnabas come into the town of Antioch in the area of Pisidia. And on the very first Sabbath, they enter the synagogue. And it's quite a large synagogue, and we know that because uh, the Scripture says that there were rulers 
of the synagogue. Most synagogues back then, the smaller ones, just had one spiritual leader. But here there are several spiritual leaders. And, and there's been a Hebrew community for 200 years. And so there's a kind of an establishment there. And so you have in that synagogue uh, Hebrews and Greeks and Romans and, and uh, some God-fearers. So, so some Greeks who are seeking God but haven't quite made a decision. Uh, uh, and, and we get a glimpse in these verses of how they worshipped back then. Did you notice that? Did you see that? Uh, uh, in verse 15, there's the reading of the law. That would be the, from among the first five books of the, uh, from the Old Testament, our Old Testament. There's the, the, a reading from the prophets. And, and then after the readings, then the leaders of the synagogue notice Paul and Barnabas. In the synagogue gathering. And Barnabas was a Levi from the tribe of Levi, a Hebrew, um, who lived in Cyprus. But uh, then the apostle Paul had studied under the famous rabbinic scholar Gamaliel. And so somehow uh, Paul's credentials may have been identified maybe by his wardrobe. But here, the rulers of the synagogue say to Paul, you're up in two minutes. Okay? Just say something. And that's when Paul tells the story that's been propelling his life story. That's when we get to the inner story. And Paul's story starts with Israel. Look at verse 16 and 17. So Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel. And so Paul starts retelling the story of God's initiating activity in selecting a nation to be a blessing to every nation on earth. And that was the intention of God selecting Abraham. I will bless you, and all nations will be blessed through you. And in verses 17 and following, I want you to see how God is the subject of uh, really all of the verbs that follow in the next several verses. God chose our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. God made our people great. God... Uh, uh, led them from Egypt. God carried them. He carried them 40 years in the wilderness. God destroyed the seven nations in Canaan. God gave Israel their land. God gave Saul to be their first king. God removed Saul as their king. And God raised up David, about whom Paul said, as Paul quotes the scripture, he's a man after my heart who will do all my will. And then Paul gets to his big idea. And that's verse 23. Verse 23 is Paul's big idea. Of this man's offspring, that's David, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. As he promised. Every Hebrew knew that God would provide a deliverer. 
And Paul stands to proclaim that God has kept his promise. Jesus is God's yes to all of his promises. Jesus is God's climactic fulfillment of his promise to rescue and restore this broken world. When Augustus Caesar would conquer a territory, a messenger would arrive with a gospel. A gospel, a euangelion, evangelism. You good tidings, good tidings, gospel news, residents of the land. You have a new king. You have a new savior. That's what Paul's doing here. He reminds his own people of Israel's history, a history of failure and faithfulness. Failed Adam-like figures. Adam failed. Noah failed. Abraham failed. Moses failed. Yes, even David failed. In some way, they all failed. And it wasn't as if each Adam was like a better version of the one before. Because we all fall short. It's a story of failure. But it's also a story of faithfulness. God is faithful. God sent his own son from heaven to earth as the final Adam, the last Adam. So help is not going to come from below. Help will come from above. And that's why Paul says in verse 26, to us has been sent the message of salvation. You see, gospel means good news which means that Christianity is good news, not good advice. Christianity is the announcement that something has been done for you, and now you must respond. Every other religion on the face of the earth besides Christianity is about the giving of advice. A major religious figure or a prophet says, Here is how you find God. But only Jesus says, I am God who has come to find you. I am the God who came to do what you could never do. You have to understand, I mean, Christianity is not that the gospel comes through Jesus. Christianity is that the gospel is Jesus. That's why the apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ I want to know Christ. He doesn't say, I want to know the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that's wonderful wisdom. But Christianity is Christ. I want to know Christ and him crucified and what he's done for us and our reliance on him. That's the gospel. And that's why we can then say that the gospel lifts burdens. See, advice just adds burdens because it's just one more thing to do. But the gospel releases us. And and Paul says this Jesus lived in full view of the leaders who missed him. Verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem 
and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. Every Sabbath day. They, they read about the promises that God would one day fulfill. And then, when the, and then when the fulfilled promise showed up in the flesh, they missed it. They missed it. And they not only missed him, they killed him. Though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. They killed him. They, killed, they missed him. They killed him. But God raised him. And witnesses saw him. So the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. Christianity is not about a, a resurrected teaching that kind of you know, lives in the spirit of our hearts. <laughs> Christianity is about a dead guy that God woke up and he's alive never to die again christianity is not about moral improvement it's about resurrection and don't you see that that's what makes the christian gospel life's best controlling narrative remember those four questions how did we get here in the beginning god that's how we got here what went wrong? We went wrong. We, instead of wanting to serve God, we wanted to be God. And that's what's wrong. What's the fix? God took initiative in Christ to live, to die, and to be raised from the dead for us. Well, how does this end? Verse 34. Raised from the dead, no more to return to corruption. That's, that's the end which is really the beginning, for all who believe. So what has happened to Jesus will happen to you. If you believe, forgiveness and freedom are through him, not through church attendance. Uh, Christianity is not a list. Christianity is not through being good enough. Christianity is through him. Verses 38 and 39. Through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. God sent Jesus not to improve our story, but to invite us into his story. And if you will let Jesus' story overtake your life story, your life will be free, forgiven, and full of joy forever. Now, I want you to know something. When you look through Acts chapter 13 and you read through these verses, you will find no less than seven distinct people groups. Synagogue officials, Jews, Gentiles, Gentile converts to Judaism, God-fearers, women of high standing, leading Men, seven distinct groups. And here's the glory of the Christian gospel. All seven of these distinct groups had the same need. They needed to be free and they needed to be forgiven. And that's true for us too. Anybody here need to be free? 
free from a past that you wish you had to do over, but you can't. You know, you, you can't. And now you're chained. You feel chained. You feel shackled to regret. Anybody here come in need of forgiveness? Anybody here thinking, I, I would like to forgive what was done to me, but I don't know that I can. And frankly, right now, I don't know that I want to. God, I need help. See? God, I need help. I need freedom from that. See, see, freedom and forgiveness are universal longings, which God provides through him, through him. Verse 41, I'm doing a work in your day. In other words, don't miss this. This, this gospel is not only good news, but it's also a warning because there's only one gospel. Jesus is the final fulfillment of all God's activities in Israel and through Israel to the world. God has no plan B. And after Paul's message, in verse 41, the people were mesmerized. Verse 42 says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them in the next Sabbath. Can you imagine that week, you know? chit-chatting about all that they had heard in that synagogue service. And you got to understand, I mean, there was no cable back then, no Netflix, no Amazon Prime or Hulu, or there wasn't even any March Madness. No, this was the March Madness. And they were going, my goodness, what's going to happen next week? And so the next Sabbath, look at verse 44. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. They'd never heard anything like this before. Now, what's the response? We've heard about Paul's story. We've heard about Jesus' story. And now, what's the, what's the response? What's our story? How, how does our story tie into this? Well, two responses. Resistance and reception. First, the resistance. When the Jews saw the crowds... Luke tells us they were filled with jealousy. Look at verse uh, 45. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him, jealous over a, a new world that God was proposing, jealous over a new paradigm, a new way of, a new perspective, a kingdom perspective. We don't mind the Gentiles sitting in the back, but... We don't even mind the Gentiles sitting with us, but you know, they can learn our songs and they can pray our prayers. But this Paul is saying that a non-Hebrew, non-circumcised Gentile can belong to the family of God, to Israel, through this Jesus. No temple, no circumcision, by grace through faith in Christ alone. A crucified Messiah? Who ever heard of that? Their jealousy led to reviling. And they drove Paul and Barnabas out of the city. You see that? Drove them out. Stirred up persecution in verse 50. Drove them out of their district. And Paul and Barnabas did not try to pacify their persecutors. Verse 51 says they shook the dust off their feet. If that's how you all feel, you can have your dirt. 
And they went on. Resistance. But that wasn't all. There was reception, right? There's recept. There's joyful reception. And we see that in verses 48 and 49, where it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. You hear that phrase, the word of the Lord, a word of encouragement, the word of God spreading. You can't stop the living word of God. And the disciples, verse 52, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This new community emerged in little Rome. This new community of of, of Jews and Gentiles and men and women and free and slave. New love, a new world, a new vision. My goodness. And listen, we are their beneficiaries. We are a community of love and grace and truth. Because Jesus' story has overwhelmed our story. You know, it occurred to me that Acts chapter 13 is a one-chapter summary of the whole Bible, right? Because Paul just walks us through the entire Bible in his sermon, doesn't he? Tells about God's initiating activity. But then it's also the story of your life and my life. A story of either resistance or reception. What will it be? Let Jesus' story overtake your story. If you let his life overtake your life, your life will be free, forgiveness, and full of joy. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. In just a moment, we're going to sing... And then we're going to share in a time of communion where we take the bread and the cup. Remember the symbols of the Lord's salvation. But let me just try to make this so very practical about what it means to let Jesus be the controlling narrative of your life. Jesus did not come to improve your story. He came to invite us to his. And, and he wants us to continue in the grace of God. What's that look like? Well... Let me close with a story. It's a story of a car seat. So we got another car seat for Miss Audrey, our two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, and now Master Eli, our new grandson. He looks so small in that car seat. Reminds me of when my boys were just, you know, that first day when your newborn child is in the car with you. It's a scary day, right? They're so fragile. Do you know what the next really scary day is with your kid in a car? It's when they turn 16. (laughs) And now you're handing over the keys. And now they're moving from the passenger seat, from the ride-along seat, 
into the driver's seat. That's a scary moment. My prayer life improved. <laughs> I mean, up till now, I've been driving. I choose the destination. I choose the route. I choose the speed. They're in the drive-along seat. But if we're going to change seats, if you're going to drive, I've got to trust you. It's all about control, isn't it? Whoever's in this seat is the person in control. I think a lot of people find Jesus handy to have in the car as long as he's in the ride-along seat, right? Because something may come up, and I may require his assistance. Jesus, I've got a health problem. Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I want you in the car. But I'm not so sure I want you driving. But Jesus is the most qualified. If Jesus is driving, it means I'm not in control of my life anymore. If Jesus, isn't, if Jesus is driving, it means I'm not in control of my wallet. If Jesus is driving, it means I'm not in control of my ego anymore. I don't, I don't have the right to satisfy every self-centered ambition. That's his agenda. It's his life. If Jesus is driving, I'm not in control of my mouth anymore. He needs to be in control of my mouth. And that means I don't get to gossip or gripe or gongusmas or complain or rage or intimidate or exaggerate or manipulate. I'm out of the driver's seat and the keys are his. And you, do you know what the result is of letting him have control? Life. Life. I'm more alive than ever before because it's not my life anymore. It's his life. And the chains have fallen. And I'm free. And I'm forgiven. When his life overtakes my life, then my life will be free, forgiven, and full of joy. Now, do you know what you call that? when you multiply that by 1,085? Church. Church.